0: Good morning good morning (laughs) there we are you know there is such an amazing uh miracle that happens when we wake up and there's this beautiful sun that's just rising over the horizon giving us this beautiful sunshine you know it is a great thing amen amen Amen. Amen. let us rise and just rise like the sun and 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 feel it in your heart the warmth of his love Amen? amen amen all right You conquer the grave, you free every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. we Ain't no God
1: 2 Samuel seven twelve says, When the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendants, your descendants, excuse me, one of your own sons to secede you. I will establish his kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this wonderful promise that was made to David from God. And Father, we thank you for the blessings that we can receive from this promise. Lord, I'm glad that we can come together today to worship you, and we thank you for that opportunity. Father, I pray that we just keep our hearts and minds focused on you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. There's information on the screen, and, and you've got cards in front of you and the chairs. And if you're watching online, we encourage you to fill them out electronically so we can continue to keep in contact with you. Before we continue singing... <clears throat> I, I told them first service. I said we're just going to skip this, and I had one person say, "Yeah," because I knew they were an introvert. But this is a, our introvert three-minute time. Uh, we'd like you to take a couple moments to go around and say hi to somebody you haven't spoken to this morning. So we got three minutes now.
2: Layla texted me this morning. She said she.
0: 1 Samuel 2.2 says, No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one other than you. There is no rock like our God. Sweet, sweet honey on my lips Is like the sound of symphony in my ears Like holy water Dad! John 14:13 says and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son
1: lively appreciate that well we are in week eight of core 52 and this year what we've been doing is we're going to be examining 52 essential passages of scripture that'll kind of give you the most bang for your buck these passages these passages are kind of like a fast pass i don't know if you've been to disney they you can wait in line for seven hours or you can get a fast pass, you know, and get in button line. I know when we, were, when we were in Rome, we wanted to see a lot of the sites, and we just got a button line because of the pa- tickets we had. It was so nice because you don't want to waste all your trip waiting in line. But Core 52 is kind of like your fast pass to biblical knowledge. A couple weeks ago, the last time I preached, we talked about the is- the comparison of Jesus to Moses. And as we had that discussion, we talked about the fact that This concept of type and anti-type. In other words, Moses was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to fulfill. And so Moses was the type, um, Jesus was the anti-type. In in today's passage, we're going to be looking kind of at the same concept, only with Jesus and David, where David is the type and Jesus is the anti-type. And one of the things you need to remember about the nation of Israel is that Abraham was the founder of the nation. Moses was the was the, um, I'm sorry, Abraham was the father of the nation, Moses was the founder of the nation, and David, though, he was considered the leader of the nation. David took the nation to heights that were unknown, and really never have been known since. All future leaders of Israel were compared to David. The nation had always dreamed that it would return to the glory days of David, and I think in our lives, we all have those kind of those glory days where we'd like to go back to and think, man, that was just, just perfect, we, we, we ignore all the other stuff that went wrong, but we just see some idyllic time in our lives. We're like, man, if I could just go back to that. And for the nation, it was the time of David. Now, last week, Jerry talked about the whole business where God was the king, basically, of Israel. But Israel kind of would go into battle, and they'd see these spectacular-looking kings. And they thought, man, that's really cool. We want one. And, of course, in fairness, and Jerry didn't hit on this a lot last week, but some of that was precipitated by the fact that, Sam, that uh, Samuel's sons were terrible, and they're thinking, we don't want to be led by these guys, and so they wanted a king, and so the people chose, chose Saul, more or less, that's what scripture tells us, they said because he was tall and he had nice hair, I think is what it said, but, but anyway, the difference here is with David is David was God's king, David, cho- excuse me, God chose David, he was a man after God's own heart, heart in first kings chapter 15 and verse 5 it tells us this about it says he did this because david had done what he approved and had not disregarded any of his commands his entire lifetime except eh, this little problem the incident involving uriah the Hittite. i love how first kings basically says that you know david was wonderful he didn't mess up which is not totally right but and then it says at the end, oh, and by the way, there was this issue with Uriah the Hittite. Now, for those of you who don't know, Uriah the Hittite was the husband of Bathsheba. And so David had a little Bathsheba come over. They had a little rendezvous, and Bathsheba comes back and says, hey, I got a gift for you. It's coming in nine months. And uh, David was in a panic, and he's like, I got to do something about this because I can't think, let the nation think I did something that I shouldn't have done. So he had his generals send Uriah into battle, and they withdrew. Uriah died in battle. So essentially, David murdered Uriah. Now, I find it interesting that, and, and I've said this before, when I first became a Christian, and really ever since, David was an inspiration to me in the sense that here's a man who God himself said is after my own heart. First King says he didn't deviate. Well, except for that little thing with Uriah. If you're Uriah, that's a big deal, by the way. You lose your wife and you lose your life. But um, when I first became a Christian, even before, well, before that, I used to think, well, if you're sitting in church, you're perfect. <laughs> and only perfect people can come to church because it was just my, per se. I, he, like, that was my perception, you know. And when I looked at David, I thought, wait a minute, how on earth can this be a man after God's own heart? When he murdered somebody, he committed adultery. I mean, this guy didn't seem too good to me, but God said, he's after my own heart. Now, those actions weren't after God's own heart, but David's life in general pointed to God. And I said, you know, if God can use an adulterating murderer, he can use a person like me. And I I always drew encouragement to that. David became the standard by which all other kings in Israel were judged. About 20 times between 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles which is basically the same thing as 1 Kings a little different <clears throat> the descendants on, of David who sat on the throne were always compared to David their father you'd read statements in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 3 speaking of king Hezekiah it says Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done Second Kings 16, 2 Kings 16:2 we read about king Ahaz unlike David his father he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord and so, David became this running thread throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. Now, this is for very good reason. It wasn't just because of David's kingship and the fact that he was a great king, but as we saw with Moses, David was much more. He was an, a type or a foreshadowing of Jesus who was going to come. This takes us to the context of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 that we're going to be in this morning david was a well-established king at this point he had a palace built and he's main, he's kind of wandering around the palace one night <clears throat> and he's looking around and it was made of cedar somewhat so it had to smell good too by the way but he uh he's talking with nathan the prophet he says you know what nathan he says i got this really nice house god's out there in the tent which god really wasn't but it was His presence and so david said i need to build something great for god and Samuel's, or excuse me, Nathan's response to David was, hey, you know, God's with you. You know, you need to do what your heart's leading you to do, more or less. Well, God had a conversation with Nathan uh, later in the night. and says, no, that's not quite right, Nathan. You need to tell David that he's got blood on his hands. He's not building my house. And um, so Nathan responded to David, gave David the response. And that's where we are in 2 Samuel. What I'm hoping we gain out of the passage today is this, and this is, I think, very important, a very important aspect of our walk. You need to understand that when God makes a promise, even when it looks like the promise cannot be fulfilled, when it looks impossible, God is faithful, and he will fulfill the promise. There's a lot of times in life, man, you read God's word like, you know, Romans 8, what is it, 830? that God works all things to good for those, and you're like, wait a minute, no, no, that's a lie. But God promises it. And so when God promises something, he will deliver. We need to understand this concept because this is the truth we live today in our lives. I have seen so many people turn away from God because they thought he didn't keep promises. So let's get into our passage. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 7, <clears throat> verses um, 12 through 16. So it says this, now this is God speaking to Nathan. He says, when the time comes for you to die, speaking of of David, I will raise up your descendant, one of your own sons to secede you, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will make his dynasty permanent. I will become his father, he will become my son. When he sins, I will correct him with the rod of men and with the wounds afflicted on him by human beings." My loyal love will not be removed from him as I removed it from Saul, whom I remove, who who, who I, whom I remove from you, uh, from, who I remove before you. Sorry, I got my old prescription, so I'm not seeing very well. Your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently, and your dynasty will be permanent. So the first observation we want to make this morning is this, it's a promise made. Second Samuel seven, as I said, it begins with David conversing with Nathan. David expressed his desire to build the temple, and Nathan said, go for it, but then God said, yeah, you need to tell David not to go for it. Um, And so God, uh, God delivered a message to Nathan. Nathan delivered it to David. And David accepted that, by the way, with great humility. But in this passage, starting in verse 12, God is making a covenant with David. In the grand narrative of God's interaction with humanity, the promise made to David in 2 Samuel seven twelve stands as a pivotal moment. It marks not just a covenant with the king, but it's the laying of the foundation of the coming of Jesus. This is why it's one of our 52 passages. The promise made begins at verse 12, and it goes through verse 16. Now, when David heard this from Nathan, obviously he was kind of bummed out because he really wanted to do this for God, but he humbly in, in, chapter, in chapter 8 he he basically starts talking about God, you know, I cannot believe you blessed me so much. He's really humble about it. But David took this promise from God to mean Solomon. Okay? And partly he was right, and we'll talk about that in a minute, in a minute, because this promise was was immediately applicable to Solomon, who was David's son. He would eventually build the temple. But the promise actually transcended the immediate and tangible pointing to something bigger and better, Jesus. Now, David didn't know this at the time. The covenant with David was not merely a succession, but establishing a kingdom that would have no end. Now, it speaks of God's sovereignty and his ultimate plan for redemption. When we look at David, we see a man after God's own heart, a king despite his flaws, who was used by God in mighty ways. Yet David he achieved great things for Israel, even though he did. His kingdom, like all earthly kingdoms, had limitations. In other words, the blessing of David's kingdom was not was only going to be given to the people who were there, and maybe immediately under Solomon. We can't blame David for thinking that this promise from God meant his sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, etc., However, the Bible prophecies usually work on more than one level. They usually work on a couple levels at once. There's an immediate reference and an ultimate reference. It's like when you visit a famous place or do a big event and you take a picture. I remember we used to go around traveling with our friend Tasha, and every time we'd go to a state, we'd all have to crawl out of the car, no matter what the weather was like, and she had to get a picture of everybody in front of the state sign. You know, it says you're entering the state. Now, in the picture, you had us and you had the state sign. If you've ever gone to, a, like, I don't know, the Grand Canyon or you've gone anywhere on a vacation and you took a picture while you're at the vacation, what was the picture about? Was it about you or was it about the event? The answer is it was about both. You wanted to remember that you were at the event. And prophecy can work very much like a picture. The subject in the foreground of this prophecy was Solomon. But in the background, the much bigger picture here was going to be Jesus. God cannot, simp- cannot simply be talking about Solomon or even an earthly throne or the throne in Jerusalem because those aren't eternal. In verse 13, God tells David that he will make David's dynasty permanent. And he repeats the same thing in verse 16. Permanent means permanent. And it, would be a long, it wouldn't be long before the kingdom was in trouble, by the way see David died in about 970 BC and Solomon became king at 970 roughly. He reigned for 40 years and then in 931 something really bad happened to the kingdom when Solomon died. The kingdom divided and briefly what happened there is David's son Rehoboam or excuse me yeah Rehoboam I get the boems mixed up. Rehoboam was going to be king and during Solomon's reign he taxed the heck out of people because he was trying to pay to build the temple. And so when Solomon died, Solomon's advisors came to um, Rehoboam and said, hey, you know what? You probably ought to give the people a break because they were actually crying for tax breaks, you know, more or less. And so Solomon, or excuse me, Rehoboam decides to go to his young friends. Of course, they're young. They know everything. You know, you can't teach them anything. And they said, no, you don't want to do that. And so Rehoboam basically says, you know what? My father was really mean to you, but I'm really going to be worse, okay? Well, we had a problem. A guy named Jeroboam, we called them the Boam brothers in college, even though they weren't brothers, he led a rebellion. And what happened is ten tribes separated from the twelve. The northern kingdom of ten tribes, and we had the southern kingdom of two, which was Judah and uh, the very small tribe of Benjamin and this happened in 931 BC now the northern kingdom began with Rehoboam as uh, Rehoboam's political po- opponent Jeroboam as king the northern kingdom had 19 kings from 931 till the Assyrians obliterated them in 722 BC all 19 of them were evil and they weren't really from the line of David so here God has promised David just 40 some years ahead of, before that hey guess what I'm going to set your dynasty it's going to be It's going to be permanent. Well, now we got a problem because 10 of the tribes are gone. And in 722, they're gone. They're they're, they're done. Well, in the southern kingdom, they had 19 kings. And that went until 586 B.C. Now, all 19 of those kings, some were good, some were bad, but they were all from the line of David. So, okay, God's keeping his promise. You know, there's some people sitting on David's throne until... 586 B.C. From David's line, there were 20 kings, including Solomon. 586, the kingdom ended. After the Babylonian exile, there was a big shift in politics in, Jerusalem, in, in, in Israel. The political structure changed. And what ended up changing was, instead of having a monarch ruling the country, it shifted more over to community leaders and religious leaders. So technically, once 586 hit, God's promise looks like it's null and void. There's no throne to sit on. And so it looks like God lied. And for a forever throne, too, requires a forever king. Solomon and David's grandsons, they weren't going to be forever. After David, 20 of his descendants sit on the thro- They sat on the throne, each in turn. And now 20 descendants is a long time. You know, you're going from basically... 930 to 586. That's a long time, but is that permanent? Is that forever? Nope. See, the picture is the background. The picture in the background was something different. It was something bigger. It was something better. For in order for there to be a forever throne, there has to be a forever king, and in 586, that's all gone. So let's look at our second thought, a promise kept. The prophet Isaiah wrote this. At that time, a root from Jesse will stand like a signal flag for all the nations. Nations will look at him for guidance. His residence will be majestic. Jesse was David's father. And so what Isaiah is saying is that he's going to grow up like a shoot that's under the ground. You know, you ever taken a plant up and it's gone, you don't see it, and then it pops back up? My yard has looked really good for the last few months, and the other day I look in the yard, and those stupid weeds came back. They're not going to win. They're going to die. A slow, agonizing death, because they look ugly in my yard. But they're there. They're under the surface all the time. And so what Isaiah says, yeah, it looks like the kingdom's over. It's going to be over. But there's that shoot underground that's going to pop up. Even though the royal family line seems to have disappeared from view, it will pop up again. And when it does... It will draw all the nations to itself. God sent other prophets after the exile, 586, Amos, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and they all began speaking something that was very interesting. And if you were a Jewish person living at the time, you'd have to think, this is crazy. There's no more kingdom. But he started talking about the restoring and rebuilding of David's kingdom. A kingdom, they talked, the kingdom that he talked, they talked about, I should say, though was much bigger, and much better. Amos, which I love throwing an Amos reference in because nobody's read Amos probably. Amos nine eleven. In that day, I will rebuild the collapsing hut of David. I will seal its gaps, repair its ruins, and restore it to what it was like in the days gone by. And then we have Jeremiah writing in Jeremiah twenty three. He says, "I, the Lord, promise that the new that a new time will certainly come when I raise up uh, for them a righteous branch, a descendant of David." he will rule over them with wisdom and understanding and will do just what he will and will do just what is right and right for the land and then ezekiel pipes in he says they will live in a land i gave to my servant jacob in which your fathers lived. they will live in it they and their children and their grandchildren forever david my servant will be prince over them forever and ever he's talking about a descendant now see these promises if you're a person living post-exile look ridiculous They look like there is no, just like when something's happened in your life that's horrible. How's God gonna use this? It looks stupid. It really does. It's like, it looks disingenuous. God, how can you be promising all this stuff about David when there's no throne to sit on? Well, these promises seem more like broken promises or false hope based on what everybody could see at the time. It all looked lost. But here's one thing you need to know about God. This is something that you can take to the bank. It's this. When God makes a promise, good or bad, he keeps it. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. I've seen so many people in my life turn away from God because they perceived that God wasn't keeping a promise. When many times they misunderstood what God said as far as a promise, or they just weren't willing to see Because something terrible happened and they just don't trust God anymore. From 586 BC to 6 BC, it looked impossible for God to keep his promise. We're going to make your throne forever, David. It looks like, it not only looks like David was betrayed, it looks like Abraham was betrayed because it looks like it's all over. But then something happened. The New Testament, it opens with the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew opens his biography in chapter one and verse one with the biography of Jesus, a genealogy that shows De- that, that Je- excuse me, that shows Jesse that, Je- that Jesus is the, rightful, the rightful heir to the throne of David. He didn't take it. He didn't usurp it. He's an heir of David. And by the way, if you're not following a lot in your Core 52, I would encourage you to do that in your devotional book. Um, Mark Moore has some really good insights to the genealogy of Matthew, which I'm not going to go in today, but it's, it'd be interesting. You should check it out. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Notice, notice what he says. The son of David, the son of Abraham. This opening verse is more than simply a family tree. It's an affirmation that the promises that God made to Abraham and to David are going to be reaching their fulfillment in Jesus. Matthew intentionally reminds us that Jesus is the rightful heir to David's throne. David, your throne's going to last forever. Here we go. It starts. This genealogy anchors Jesus in history. It connects him indisputably to the covenant promises of the Old Testament. Jesus, the son of David, embodies the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the promised king whose reign will be without end. Unlike David's earthly kingdom, which rose and fell, Jesus' kingdom is unshakable and it's everlasting. It cannot be shaken. Nations rise and fall. And by the way, folks, don't think just because we're the United States we won't fall. We keep on the path we're going. It's not going to last long. You cannot sustain $31 trillion of debt you just can't you can only print money for so long you realize we borrow money from China to give it to other countries it's ridiculous anyway didn't mean that to sound political but it's just fact and some of our when you go vote we need to start thinking about the nation and not just ourselves and our future I'm scared to death of what's gonna happen for my grandchildren in this nation if things don't change but they rise and fall but you know under Jesus his kingdom is everlasting It won't rise and fall. It won't fall. It will stay risen forever and ever. It won't be full of corruption and full of thievery and full of lies and full of broken promises. It's eternal. Through his death and his resurrection, Jesus established a kingdom that spans all of time, and it invites every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to be a part of the inheritance. David was the type. Jesus was the fulfillment of David. Or the anti-type. When God spoke to David about building, about his offspring building a, church, a, a house in his name, it pointed well beyond the physical temple, which, by the way, was destroyed in 8070, and it pointed to something bigger. Jesus is the greater son of David. He builds a different kind of house, not one made of stones, but one made with living stones, with Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone jesus christ in him the church becomes the holy temple of god according to first peter chapter 2 verse 5 and what is the church it is not the building it is christians and by the way i hope you've been really paying attention as we've been going through these passages because a lot of bad theology happens when we don't understand how things fit together okay here's an example there's a lot of ministries out there today that focus on on israel And they think that what's going to happen is God's going to come back, he's going to set up a physical kingdom in Jerusalem, and Jesus is going to sit on that throne in Jerusalem and rule the world. Okay, the problem with that is Jesus himself said that's not the case. He said his kingdom is spiritual. But the other problem with that is the the thinking behind it is, well, the Jews have to be brought into the kingdom of God. They're the ones that are going to usher it in more or less. I'm being very loose with my facts on this, but that's more or less what's happening. But if you don't understand, here's the, here's the fact. In order to be able to claim the promises of God, you have to be an offspring of Abraham, okay? That used to be nation of Israel. But how are you an offspring of Abraham now? Because remember, all of those things have been fulfilled in Jesus. The way you become Abraham's offspring is you are baptized into Christ. You are added to the church in general as a whole. And so therefore one and this is why remember the jerusalem council i talked about in bible study the jerusalem council they were thinking hey gentiles have to be jews first and i understand why they thought that but the jerusalem council says, no because to be a child of abraham you're in christ bible tells us that specifically so therefore there's no need for favoring israel i think god has a special place for him that's my opinion But the fact of the matter is, Jew or Gentile, remember, Bible says there's no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no freeman, none of this stuff, no male, no female, all are one in Christ. And so in order to be able to go, if you will, to inherit God's promises, you've got to be a child of Abraham. And if you've been baptized into Christ, you are. You're an heir of the promise to Abraham. You're an heir of the promise to David's kingdom. And this is why, if you don't understand how things fit together, it leads to some really rough theology at times. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, according to Ephesians 2.20. Let's finish with uh, looking at verse 16 one more time. Your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. So we see promise that is a blessing. David's throne was established in Jerusalem. His reign was marked by power and God's favor. Yet his kingdom experienced turmoil, rebellion, eventual division, and eventually being shut down. In contrast, through the reign of Christ, though it began humbly in a manger in Bethlehem, it transcends all earthly limitations. When we get to see the kingdom fulfilled, the suffering, the pain, the loss, the tears, it's all gone. The corruption violence it's all gone see jesus inaugurated his kingdom not by the force of arms but through love through sacrifice and through the resurrection power in other words we have some religions out there islam you know you either become one of them or you die where's the love in that if it's such a great thing why do you have to threaten people's lives to take it jesus didn't do that Jesus didn't put a gun to people so say, says, you're going to follow me. He just simply said, come follow me. And he does the same thing. To, this is why I believe Islam wants to keep Christianity out because the, in my humble opinion, when, if Christianity gets in those Muslim nations, there won't be Islam anymore eventually because Christianity will win out because God is real. The power of love is changing. You could get some things done by fear as a parent. I could scare the Jesus out of my kids and get them to do something when they were little. But I would rather them do what they did because they loved me. Because that is more powerful. And the kingdom of God is built on that. You get to make a decision. Even today, God is not making a single one of you follow him. He's given you the invitation. He's given you the invitation because he wants you to follow him. Because you, by your own free will, want to follow him. You, of your own free will, want to submit your will and your life to him. You, of your own free will, want to live for him. Sometimes I've seen parents basically force their kids in the baptistry, and I just, that is just so wrong because they shouldn't jump into that thing until they're ready to do it. Because I can't baptize a kid that's unwilling to follow Jesus and have them follow Jesus. I'm just going to get them mad and wet. Matter of fact, in the restoration movement, one of our guys that kind of was in the beginning of that in the 1800s, Raccoon John Smith, one day he's preaching a sermon and he sees a Baptist minister, just happened to be a Baptist minister in the crowd and raccoon is a pretty good sized guy he grabbed this Baptist minister and drug him to the lake and th- and he's throwing him in as he's throwing him in the guy what are you doing he says i'm doing what you do in other words he was he was he's going to baptize him against his will and so you have to decide that you want to do that jesus in him the eternal kingdom is realized his resurrection from the dead was a pivotal event and it Shows that God's kingdom is is unshakable. Think about this. The disciples, the apostles, were following Jesus, okay? They walked with him. They saw what was going on. They saw the miracles, the teachings, the healings. And they're riding high, man. They're thinking, this is great. All of a sudden, he gets arrested. Now, I've always said, as far as Judas is concerned, I really believe that Judas did not believe that what happened to Jesus was going to happen. The reason I say that is because why did he go hang himself? Why would he care? He got his money, but he was kind of a zealot, and he wanted to see that kingdom established in Jerusalem that Jesus said wasn't going to happen. And when it didn't happen, Judas thought, oh, no, I was going to just make some money. I figured Jesus would stand up for himself and not let this happen. And when Jesus was dying on that cross, where were his disciples? Nowhere to be found. They were hiding, they were terrified. And then all of a sudden, a few days later, these guys are out boldly preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. Why? Why? Oh, they just got courage. Nope. They knew. They knew. They saw the risen, and Jesus appeared to Peter. He appeared to John. appeared to 500 at one time when they saw the risen savior they knew they needed no faith they didn't need faith they knew that jesus was who he said he was so nothing would stop them well what's stopping us today what is holding us back as members of his kingdom we're tasked with the mission of inviting others into the story of god's redemptive plan that's what we're called to do and as a church, when we lose sight of that, we do a lot of things at church, and they all their goal is to get people not just to come in and sit their behinds in our nice, comfortable chairs, but to give themselves to Jesus and to grow in Jesus. Because when we stop doing that church, we become a country club, and God will kill us off. I don't mean kill us. He'll end it. Because God doesn't need country clubs. He needs churches who are committed to the mission that he's given us. We're not just here for ourselves. We're here for our community. We're here for the world. This is why we do missions through our faith promise. We are called to proclaim the good news, but not only that, we're called to demonstrate it through our lives to how we deal with people, to how we do business with people, to how we treat people at the grocery store. We're called to do that. We are to eagerly await Christ's return, but in the meantime, we have a mission. It's not just my job or Jerry's job. It's every one of you in here that belongs to Jesus. It's your mission. It's not just, it it kills me sometimes when people say, well, preacher isn't supposed to do that and they're doing the same thing. I'm like, well, if I can't do it, why can you do it? What's different? I understand there's some difference, but basically there's no difference. We should be doing the same thing. Until that day, until he returns, we have to hold fast to the hopes set before us knowing that Christ in him, the best is yet to come. Jesus is the true son of David, the one who fulfills the covenant made so many centuries ago his eternal kingdom inaugurated through his life his death and resurrection is the ultimate and i hope that you're following jesus right now because you love jesus and if you love jesus it changes things if you're just hanging on that's a lot different jesus wants you to follow him because you love him and then we share that love with other people this morning if you want to be a part of that kingdom Our praise team is going to come up and sing a song of decision. Lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now's the time to do it because you've got a God in heaven who loves you. This whole scheme of redemption has been going on since the fall and God does it because of his love for you. There comes a time in your life you've got to make a decision. Are you going to gamble? I had a friend of mine one time say, you know, Jeff, he says, what if you're wrong what if we just die and we're dead I I remember telling him I said it was my friend Kevin I said look I don't believe that but I'll play your game for a minute okay if there's none of this stuff I've ever believed is true you know what happens when I die I've lived a good life I've helped other people hopefully I've been a positive influence on those around me and hopefully my morality's been up to snuff And I looked at my friend Kevin in the eye and said, let me ask you a question, though. I just answered your question, you answer mine. What happens if you're wrong? He looked at me and dropped his eyes and walked away. He wouldn't even answer. So you can gamble if you want, but usually the house wins, you won't win that one, and this one you won't. Why gamble when you can have a surety, when you can have Christ as your Lord and Savior? where you can put your faith in him and say, I'm going to quit trying to save myself, when you can then realize that i got to put my faith in Jesus, and that leads you to do some things. It doesn't just say, hey, just say it and it's done. But it will lead you to confess him as your Lord. It'll lead you to repentance. It'll lead you to say, you know what, I need help with this. I need God's spirit within me. And that's where the baptiz- baptistry comes in. You're baptized into Christ. Your sins are washed away. The guilt that was holding you back should be let go. Quit carrying it. You're going to rise and walk in a newness of life, and you'll have God's Holy Spirit within you. If that's what you need this morning, what you do if you don't have, but we hope that you'll come forward this morning and accept, accept that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling, you need some prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you, and the church would if you'd like also. So at this time, let's stand together and let's sing our song of decision. If you have a decision, come forward this morning, and we'll be glad to accept that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Be seated.
1: We come around the table this morning to celebrate our risen Savior. And I've just, I always like this time of our service because it's always a reminder to me that for one, we're not worshiping someone who's dead. Dead people can't do much for you, just give you memories. But we're here to worship Jesus who defeated death, and he told us, he says, hey, one day you're going to be taking this with me in my house. And it reminds me of the promise, the promise of eternal life that we have. And as I said before, you know, the promise to David and even to Abraham, it looked like it ended in 586, but it didn't. And God made a promise. He kept a promise. And God made a promise through Jesus. And he's keeping a promise. And as we take our communion this morning, I hope we're reminded of that. And also on a side note, I hope that if we're, things in life just aren't going well, that we don't lose faith in God, that we don't think that he's abandoning us because he does it. He loves us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come around the table this morning and to remember The promises you've made because they're going to be promises you keep and we thank you that through your son Jesus and through his blood that we can have eternal life this blood's represented by the cup that we're going to be partaking in his body that was just beaten beyond recognition almost is going to be represented by the blood and we take these things in memory of what has been done but also in in, in anticipation of what will be done and what has been done it's in Jesus name that we pray Amen. the inside of your bulletin we have many announcements uh jerry's groups are meeting today if you're on the missions ministry team we're going to meet at four o'clock today probably for it'd be less than 30 minute meeting if all if all goes well uh roger's group is meeting this evening uh we are going to be doing narrow path next sunday next saturday we're going to meet at the church at 8 30 plan on leaving at 9 uh we're hoping to have an, a uh, reservation at velvet Elvis at eleven thirty. so uh, i'm going to call that in so if you're going to go on that i need you to sign up and I need to know how many people are in your party so I can get the reservation set up properly. I'm going to be doing that Tuesday, so make sure you're signed up before Tuesday. Sunshine ladies are going to meet at Culver's. Also, uh, we have ministry involvement, ministry uh, team volunteer sign-up sheets. Now, if you're already an, an usher, a greeter, or you're serving in one of the ministry teams that you like, you don't have to do anything because we're going to keep you there. If you're in, If you're, let's say, you're an usher, but you don't want to do it, Go on the usher form and put your name and put decline or something. Hey, I just put that down so we know to remove you from that. So then you can sign up for other things. But if you would like to sign, if you're already doing a mission team, excuse me, a ministry team, but you want to do something else also, sign up for the new one also. And we'll get you, we'll get you that information. We're going to be doing this through the month of March into April. So you have plenty of time to get signed up. Prime time, we're meeting at Tokyo on the 15th. So make sure by the, I think it's the 13th that you have your uh, uh, sign-up in. The Men's Men's Ministry Connect team will host uh, their next gathering on March 16th at 8.30 a.m. to 10. And so um, you can read the information about that. If you have any questions, get a hold of the office or Francisco. He can help you with that. We're going to have our Easter brunch between services on Easter Sunday at 9.30. So there's a sign-up sheet for that. We're, we're, we've got a lot of food coming in now. Operation Christmas Child's looking for donations, so it's sent on the West End, so we ask that you take note of them. And I think that's all the announcements I have. Right now, I'm going to show you a video um, for our
3: memory verse. Core verse number 8 2 Samuel 7 12. Our last verse was a command that God gave to Samuel. This is a promise God gives to David at the very tail end of his life. And the verse is going to break down into two parts. David, God. And each of them are going to do two things. When you can break down a verse into its logical parts, you will memorize it more quickly and remember it more easily. So, here we go. When your days are fulfilled... When your days are fulfilled. When your days are fulfilled. When your days are fulfilled. I'm Like the sun setting. When your days are fulfilled and, and you lie down with your fathers. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Notice I'm, I'm, I'm adding two hands. David and his fathers. David and his fathers. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Your you with your fathers. Think you got it? Try it without me. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. Those are the two things that David's gonna do. His days are fulfilled, he lies down. Now's what God is gonna do. When that happens, when your days are fulfilled, you lie down with your fathers. I will rise, I will raise up your offspring after you. I will raise up your offspring. So David is going down, God is raising up. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. 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 you. Got it. Okay. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. And now there's a brief description. Who shall come from your from your body, who shall come from your body? Who shall come from your body? I will raise up your offspring after you. How shall come from? Who shall come from your body? I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? And here's the second thing is God is going to do. I will establish His kingdom forever. I will establish His kingdom forever. I will establish His kingdom forever. So what does David do? Two things. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. What does God do? I will raise up your offspring after you, and I will establish his kingdom. There's a brief description in the middle of of that that seed of David. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Let's try it all together. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. One more time, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. 2 Samuel 7.12
1: week. I encourage you to take as much time as you can to learn the memory verses. They're a real blessing. I know sometimes it's hard, and we're gonna have, going to have 52 of them. I got a bunch of them in my, my my head already from my life, so sometimes I struggle with that a little bit. But the time you spend is, is actually time well spent in that, because you're bringing God's word into your life. And if, by the way, if you've been worshiping with us and have not had received a copy of Core 52 and would like one, feel free to take one for your family. We have them on the back on the on the table in the foyer by the water fountain. We purchase those so that you can follow along as we go along. Now, if you need some for your neighbors and your neighbor's dog and relatives in ten too, go to, go to Amazon and order them. It's cheaper than trying to mail them, by the way. So anyway, we encourage you to do that. As far as our prayer concerns, uh, just an update on Faith Promise. So far, because of the generosity of the congregation, we've had 34 pledges that total about $28,140 that will be sent, as it comes in each week, it gets sent to the missions each month, and we're, we thank everybody for the generosity in that. I know we'll receive a few more pledges, and maybe in another month or so, I'll probably give you a final tally, because I think we'll get some little in through this next through this month. Also, just, we uh, see everything in our bulletin, we encourage you to be in prayer for those, the Hospitality House is the outreach we're focusing in on, Operation Christmas Child is the mission we're focusing on, but also be in prayer for Laurie Jacobs, uh, she's going to be back, going back to Missouri for her son's funeral this week. Pray that she has safe passage, and that um, that she can get as much peace and comfort as she can through this most difficult time. Let's stand together, and uh, I'll close this with a word of prayer. And our praise team will play a song for us to go out on. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this week, we leave with hearts of joy, and Father, that when we're dealing with difficult circumstances, that we don't give up on you. That we know that if you said it, it'll happen. Father, I just pray you be with Lori this week as she travels and through this just most difficult time, and just help her to bring some peace and comfort to her family. Father, we thank you for the blessings we have in you, and we'll look forward to being together again next week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.